Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford sitting alongside my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Wes, on our last show, we kind of ran down some of the key topics, burning questions facing the Packers NFC North opponents here heading into 2018 at this stage of the offseason. I want to continue that discussion in some ways, but not about the NFC North, some of the other opponents on the Packers 2018 schedule coming up. And this is what we're going to do. We know starting out here that the Packers will be playing every team in the NFC West. So those four opponents are on the schedule. I want you to pick one of those opponents, the one that intrigues you the most, and then tell me what you think is the biggest question facing that opponent. Well, first off, NFC West, it's been interesting to watch this rivalry that the Packers have had with the teams from that division. Yeah. Uh, Really outside of the Los Angeles Rams, who now have shown that they are a legitimate contender in the NFC. No doubt. um, They've had battles with the 49ers, with the Seahawks, with the Cardinals. The thing that's been difficult, though, is it's been tough for one of those teams to stay on top. The 49ers did it for a couple years. St. Louis did it. Arizona was in contention. And now it looks like the Rams might be that team. For me, I go back to the consistency side of it. And to me, the most consistent team has been the Seattle Seahawks. But as you documented on your story on Packers.com when you were outlining some of these matchups, this is really, I think, a turning point for the Seahawks. I almost look at it as sort of like, What happens after the honeymoon phase is over? They've had the success. They've won the Super Bowl. They've faced adversity. And now they have question marks. They missed the playoffs last year. Uh, Russell Wilson, if you look at his numbers a year ago, the Green Bay Packers didn't have Aaron Rodgers for basically 10 games. Seattle Seahawks had Russell Wilson the whole year, but he wasn't able to overcome the shortcomings of their offensive line, the defense that eroded in some ways due to injuries. John Schneider and Pete Carroll, I think, are, are at a crossroads a little bit. Yep. If they can keep this team contending and keep them at top. Because with the questions that they have in the secondary right now, as that defense gets older, they have to make some really tough calls, I think, this, these upcoming months to determine what what course of action they're going to be taking into these next three or four seasons. Yeah, I agree with you with that uh, that term, crossroads. I do think this is a, this is a crucial offseason for the Seahawks. It, you know, very differently from the Packers, as crucial as this offseason is for Green Bay as well. But you mentioned the secondary, the Legion of Boom. You've got Cam Chancellor and Richard Sherman are both going to be trying to come back from significant injuries. And then on top of that, Earl Thomas, who I think, think is the youngest of that trio he if is. I'm not mistaken yeah I think he's 29 now. yeah he's the guy who's now talking about maybe holding out unless he gets a new contract or an extension you know some more um, some more money from the Seahawks so you know those three guys they've they've been they've been the foundation of uh of that secondary and then you say along with Bobby Wagner on the second level and Michael Bennett up front yeah. really the foundation of that that top-notch defense for a number of years and you just wonder is is this going to be the the transition year where where it doesn't quite all come back together because of the injuries the contract situations all of that or are John Schneider and Pete Carroll going to be able to hold it together with this core of a defense and try to make one more run you give Schneider a lot of credit he found Russell Wilson Pete Carroll developed Russell Wilson and he became an MVP type player in this league but let's also be honest Mike Russell Wilson was a third-round pick, and you can draw these lines where you have teams that play have quarterbacks that, underva- that play under value, 
And then when they get that contract, yep. that's when you have to start making more difficult decisions elsewhere. It changes everything with your salary cap. It's tough to keep the band together. It's tough to keep the party going. And I think that's what the Seahawks are currently trying to work themselves through. Yeah, and when you also look at uh, these other NFC West teams on the Packers schedule, I'm really intrigued by both of the matchups against the Rams and the 49ers coming up. I think the Aaron Rodgers versus Jimmy Garoppolo, Green Bay-San Francisco game that will be at yeah. Lambeau Field sometime this fall, that might be one of the best games on the home schedule, frankly. Uh, what Jimmy Garoppolo did coming in, going 5-0 and for a team that was, what, 1-10 yeah. when he took the starting job. Um, yeah, sorry, yeah, 1-1. One, one close enough. Yeah, close I mean, enough. He, yeah, the point, yeah. But, uh, uh, but to go 5-0, and and then he earns the big contract and whatnot. So a lot of excitement with San Francisco. I think that could be a great quarterback matchup. And then with the Rams, you know, new coach Sean McVay, a developing rising star at quarterback in Jared Goff. You got Todd Gurley, you got Cooper Cup, you've got some of these guys on defense. Now they have some questions on defense with some pending free agents, but as you said at the beginning, the Rams look like a team that might be uh, might be a contender for a while. Yeah, and it's very quietly, Mike, uh, Aaron Donald, the Defensive Player of the Year yep. in 2017. And for him to do it at that position in Wade Phillips' defense, I mean, that says a lot about the production they got out of him at defensive tackle. You do have Jared Goff, and then obviously Sean McVay has been a really good partner for him uh, in that development of the offense. And the San Francisco 49ers, to me, are one of the most exciting teams going into 2018. And it shows you how quickly the narrative can change when you find the quarterback. I'll say this, and there's a long way to go here. Jimmy Garoppolo now is going to get paid really handsomely. He's going to have to live up to that contract. But if this works out for the 49ers, and they found a potential superstar here, and they got him for a second-round pick in the middle of a season... John Lynch, man, that might go down as one of the most savvy moves any GM has made in the last uh, 10 years. Could end up being a tremendous steal. Tremendous. The Cleveland Browns, since all these different teams that needed quarterbacks, the 49ers went and got theirs in the middle of the season. Very shrewd. Yeah, well, we've got some more uh, opponents on the 2018 schedule to talk about. We'll get to those after the break. Back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford in this chair, Wes Hodkiewicz in that one. And Wes, continuing our discussion of some of the Packers' opponents on the 2018 schedule. The other division the Packers will be matched up against, the NFC North as a whole will be matched up against, is the AFC East. Um, so there's definitely one opponent there we need to talk about. And the New York the, Jets. Uh, yeah, it's the New England Patriots, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, Packers only play these teams in the AFC once every four years. Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady have gone head-to-head only once in their careers because Rodgers missed the game in 2010 in Foxborough. So actually, this trip to Foxborough will be Rodgers' first regular season appearance in that stadium. It's a matchup everybody's going to be looking forward to. We don't know exactly when it is because the full schedule, the dates and times, everything comes out in April. But... Um, I'm guessing this one's going to be in prime time. What do you think? Yeah, I was. You know, I kind of <laughs> alluded to this in Insider Inbox two weeks ago when people were asking what our most exciting matchup is going to be in 2018. I think it's probably going to end up slotting right back into that sweeps November Monday night football <laughs> or Sunday night football game again. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be a lot of battling over who's going to be able to broadcast that because, as you said, this has been a rivalry, a battle that we haven't seen a whole lot. 
and uh, you go back to what that game was like in 2014 here at Lambeau Field, uh, the energy, uh, just just how ex- the excitement. And if you correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe when the Packers won that game, that was the Patriots' last loss the rest of the season. And then they went on to win the Super Bowl. Correct. So, that is correct. Uh, last year we got robbed from having Rodgers versus Roethlisberger, which is always a great matchup. Yep. Obviously a Super Bowl has been contested for it. Um, Brady and Rodgers, you don't know how many more times you're going to get this, depending on how exactly this plays out for Tom Brady. There's a part of me, too, that would still love to see this as a Super Bowl matchup. It's oh, like, I think a lot of people would. A lot of, a lot of people don't want to see either of these guys retire without yeah. them going head-to-head in a Super It'd Bowl. It would be incredible, yeah. and it's almost like WrestleMania a little bit, you know? Um, I know you're not a big wrestling fan, but you always <laughs> try to get that big matchup for the big show of the sure. year. That could really be special. But first things first, uh, being able to go, as you said, into Gillette Stadium for the first time for Aaron Rodgers, knowing how much of a student of the game he is and how much he appreciates league history, I'm sure that's going to be very meaningful for him. Yeah, and I'll be curious what the league decides. And I, I'm, I'm not trying to jinx anybody or anything, but the fact that Rodgers is coming off an injury, the fact that Tom Brady is as old as he is, does the league want to schedule this one earlier in the season as Maybe. opposed to later? Because yeah. you're just taking a risk that, you know, because of Rodgers and Roethlisberger, they set that one for Thanksgiving weekend, Sunday night football. That's We're talking point. last spring, like that's going to be one of the greatest matchups of the year. And then it didn't happen, you know? Yeah. So you just wonder, um, you know, exactly how the, how the league will handle that because it is such a rare matchup. It only happens outside of a Super Bowl. It would only happen once every four years right yeah precisely and it's just it's one of those things that when you see the way that you remember bill belichick how uh fusive he was in his praise of mike mccarthy in 14 then two yep. coming after that and what he said at the the nfl owners meetings uh that following winter i mean he just really has a holds mike mccarthy in a very high regard and to see those two guys kind of match what's two will be pretty neat to watch yeah the other team in the afc east that i want to talk about is the buffalo bills and 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 i want to discuss them because uh what i what i mentioned in my story when i gave kind of a quick hit rundown on all these opponents on the 2018 schedule is, you know, are the Buffalo Hills, Buffalo Hills, excuse me, the (laughs) Buffalo Bills, a one hit wonder. They made the playoffs for the first time this century, thanks to the Andy Dalton miracle in Baltimore that, that beats the Ravens and, and gets Buffalo. And we all saw the locker room scene where they were watching it on TV and they knew they were in the playoffs. But, um, this Buffalo team is one that has a lot of questions, particularly at the quarterback position. But yet, it's it's a it's a roster that's solid enough to uh, to have made the playoffs for the first time in a really long time. This is a really intriguing team and, and an important offseason for them. The dangerous thing that you outlined there with the Bills is that they did make the playoffs. You cannot take that away from. They didn't really do any one thing especially well, though. They struggle with the pass game. Their defense was kind of middle of the road. Uh, Micah Hyde had a phenomenal season for him. You give him credit and what ended up being a second-team All-Pro year. But they, they had the trade for the receiver. It's just there was so many questions yeah. about this unit. Shady McCoy had a fine year uh, when he was healthy. So it's going to be really interesting to see if the Bills can build upon this. You never want to – you know th- that was really big for them to make the playoffs. They certainly wanted to end that skid. But at the same time, we've seen it. History has shown – for a first-year head coach, it's not always the best thing to go in and like make the playoffs or kind of you know sneak in. Sometimes you just want to take it on the chin that first year, get better, and then you know start to build from there. The Bills, I think they they're going to have the twenty-first and twenty-second overall pick. They need to get better. They need to figure out if Tyrod Taylor is their quarterback, and they also need to find more pieces for McDermott's defense. But a very big step for them to make the playoffs. The question that I have though is whether or not they're going to be able to build on it. Yeah, I would agree with that. Let's go to another break. Back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this.
Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford here, Wes Hodkowitz, all the way over there. Wes, there's a topic kind of left over from the Super Bowl that we haven't had a chance to address yet. It's sort of been on my mental list of things. So today is the day that we're going to talk about it. And what I'm referring to is the catch rule. We saw, obviously, some key replay decisions that were made in the Super Bowl that a lot of people wondered, hey, that wasn't necessarily quite the way some things were called in the regular season. So what's going on here? We heard Roger Goodell, the commissioner, during Super Bowl week talk about needing to once again sort of deconstruct the entire catch rule, you know, build it up again from from scratch so that it's something that everybody can uh, can count on and understand. So could be a big off season in that respect for the rule book. Where do you think this is going? I was sitting in, I believe it was Phoenix, Arizona. Beautiful, sun-soaked day uh, out in the desert at the owners' meetings now almost three years ago. Okay. The last time that they tried to clarify the catch rule coming out of the 2014 season, the Des Bryant catch, no catch. Right. And I remember, Michael, sitting in my seat at that hotel, hearing for the first time when the NFL unveiled these plans that they were going to clarify this rule. And the wording that is included in it from that moment I was thinking to myself, there is nothing clear about this. <laughs> and I think over the past three seasons, you've seen what has happened because they didn't just deconstruct the rule from the beginning. Yeah, They tried to leave it what it was and tried to find more ways to make it more understandable, more, more relatable. In some ways, the opposite happened. I think it failed. Yeah. So I... I believe this is the right course of action. I think you got to start back from square one. I think you have to throw it out. I think you need to get your, your smartest people in the league together, coaches, personnel, competition committee, whatever it takes. I think you got to get them all in one room together and figure this thing out because I think the problem is is we've now reached a point where common sense doesn't prevail enough anymore. Yeah. And now we, when we bring up the film, when we bring up the review and, and all these things, we are trying to find any reason why something might not be a catch rather than trying to look at it as, well, why might it actually be a catch? Yeah. I think that's been the biggest issue. And to be honest with you, as we said after the Super Bowl, that was one of the reasons why I was so happy with the way the Super Bowl was officiated because I felt like common sense prevailed. Yeah, I like what you said there about uh, about the perspective on, you know, instead of always trying to find a reason for it not to be a catch, what about looking a little cl- more closely at the reasons that it is a catch? I like to use the, the Corey Clement touchdown in the Super Bowl, if you remember that one, yeah. the former running back from Wisconsin. I like to use that as an example of what I think is a is a potential positive shift in where this is going and what I mean by that is we saw we've seen for the last few years now in reviewing any kind of a catch if the slow motion shows that the ball is moving that always seems to have been equated to a loss of control by the receiver by yeah. the ball carrier what we saw on the Corey Clement touchdown being upheld as a touchdown we saw the ball moving but they did not say that that ball moving meant loss of control. Right. And I think that's where common sense is starting to prevail. Just because the ball is moving does not mean that that receiver has lost control of it. And I think if we if we include that in part of the analysis in part of the analysis, which I think it was in the Super Bowl, I think we start to make more sense. Yeah, I agree with you 100% because the game is not played with stickum. <laughs> Not legally, at least. Right. You know, this isn't the replacement. Those gloves I mean, can be pretty sticky they sometimes. Can be. But, yeah. but but the thing is about it, Mike, is that they're human beings playing a game that takes you know unworldly 
ability to successfully execute. Yeah. And I think sometimes we have to realize that if we make these rules so complicated, I'm not saying like it's fair or not fair. I'm just saying you're trying to appeal to viewers, right? Right. This is the boredom killing business, right? <laughs> I mean, people are sitting at home. They want to be entertained. They aren't entertained by watching a referee for two and a half minutes talking to New York. So do what makes sense. Make it clear. Make it concise. And then let's put our best foot forward, no pun intended. Because mm-hmm. I think, get, using another example from that, the Zach Ertz touchdown. Right. And, and, you know, I feel for Chris Collinsworth, it's a tough spot to be in. But the fact that that was even a dialogue for as long as it was, <laughs> right. when it was so abundantly clear that that was a football move, he caught the ball, the ball never moved, he was taking strides of the end zone. Okay, the ball first touched the ground, I get that, but the ball had already crossed the plane. Mm-hmm. So it, that, that's the part of this. I, I, it gets back to what I said originally, where I think people are just trying to break these things down so much, it's just creating frustration and anxiety where it doesn't need to be. But I do think there's a distinction and this is what a lot of people are still arguing about between the Zach Ertz catch in the Super Bowl and, Jesse, and the Jesse yeah. James one, the, the Pittsburgh-New England sure. game, because Zach Ertz clearly, he caught the ball with one foot on the ground. He took two more steps towards the end zone as he dove for the yeah. goal line. Jesse James was the more classic example of he was going to the ground as he was still catching the ball. And in, in that that's that's a little different. It's yeah. not like his feet were established it, you know, I think you can definitely make the argument on the Jesse James play that there wasn't really a football move. Sure. You know. So I do think there needs to be a distinction. But again, this is where it gets complicated and you need to write the rule in a certain way. But along the same lines, you know, the two and a half minute reviews, those have got to stop. I don't Absolutely. care if it's a catch or a fumble or whatever the call is that's being reviewed, they've gotta they've gotta tighten this up because because the fans at home and the fans in the stands for that matter are getting a little tired Go of it. Go back to ninety seconds. I think that's that's the first thing they did when they implemented it league wide back in whatever year that was. They gotta go back to that because I think that forces them to make a decision. And if it's not clear after ninety seconds, Michael. Then the it's, call in the field. Then it's the call in the field. Yeah, then you stick with the call in the field. Before we go to a break, Wes, a little sponsor business. Today's a perfect day to fill up with some new Campbell's Chunky Max soup. Chunky Max is loaded with more meat than you can handle a lot more. We're talking 40% more than a comparable Chunky Soup. So go on, fill up with new Campbell's Chunky Max soup. Campbell's Chunky Soup, the official soup partner of the Green Bay Packers, back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford next to Wes Hodkowitz. And Wes, before we go, a little bit of news to talk about, not necessarily news about the Packers, but it relates to the Packers a little bit in that uh, one of those AFC East opponents on the Packers' schedule for this upcoming season we didn't talk about is the Miami Dolphins, and they have just franchise-tagged their top wide receiver, Jarvis Landry. And when you look at that situation and what's going on, and we'll be seeing more franchise tags for other players going out here probably over the next couple of weeks, the Packers' decision to extend Devontae Adams before the 2017 regular season ended, when you look at Landry and his statistics and now the money that he would potentially be paid on this one franchise year if he signs that tender, 
Um, the Packers' decision is looking smarter by the day. It really is, Mike. And we're, we're going to have a you know go back to our daily format of unscripted next week. And early next week, we'll be breaking down some of the Packers' roster and how it stands going to the NFL NFL scouting combine. We'll discuss that further. Yeah. But the thing to understand with the franchise tag, there's basically three reasons why you use it. One. It can give you more time to negotiate an extension. That's what the Packers did the last time they used it in 2010 with Ryan Pickett. Yeah. They tagged him, and then they ended up agreeing to a long-term deal with him. Two, you tag him because you don't want to lose him, and then they end up playing on that tag like Kirk Cousins did. That can put you in some problems, too. And he did it for two years in a row. For two years for Washington. Yeah. It's the value, basically the average of the top five contracts at that position the first year, second year it goes up to 120%. The year after that, I think it's, what, 200% or something like that? It just skyrockets. Yeah. The third reason you do it is if you want to trade him. I look at the situation with the Dolphins. I'm guessing they're trying to go for one. Might have to settle for option two. And when you do it this early in the process, I saw this on Twitter, and I thought it was such a smart analysis. You're basically not doing it the first day if you think you're close to signing an extension with the guy. It's probably a bigger sign that you're going to be going through some rough negotiations. So the Packers being able to take care of Devontae Adams with two days left in the regular season in 2017, not only did that allow them to spread out that signing bonus, it prevented them from being in the situation now that the Miami Dolphins find themselves in with Jarvis Landry. Yeah, and the franchise tag thing can get tricky because, as you said, sometimes you put the tag on a guy, it gives you time, you work out an extension, everything is fine. Other times it can get pretty acrimonious. Yeah. It can get pretty contentious. Le'Veon Bell. And yeah, it, there there are a lot of examples and you wonder with uh, with Jarvis Landry, you know, probably the single biggest offensive threat for the Miami Dolphins, uh, you know, just uh, how smoothly this might go over time. And as crazy as things unfolded in Washington, the Kirk Cousins situation was basically the best case scenario for everybody. Cousins played <laughs> under the contract. He was happy with it. Washington ended up moving on, but we'll see exactly what happens now with the Dolphins. Yeah, I guess we'll have to see. But with that, we'll call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. On Twitter, he's at Wes Hod. I'm at Mike Spofford, at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.